0: Welcome to PDPW's podcast. Here's Bill Baker. Some say it's no fun growing old, but servant leadership trainer Tom Thibodeau disagrees. Here's Tom with this week's PDPW podcast, Aging Playfully. What a joy it is to become an elder. I would like to begin with a poem, Bill, called Aging Playfully. We're constantly being told, cajoled, encouraged to age gracefully. It's infused into Western culture almost to the point of a religion. That I say, rubbish. Don't age gracefully. Do it noisily. Make a ruckus everywhere you go and take as many along for the ride as possible. Rumble through this consensual hallucination we call life and leave people grinning, shaking their heads and wondering, now what are they up to? And as each of us steps beyond the veil, we leave behind echoes. After images of lives lived and souls touched, let your echoes ring with a sound of laughter and a little mischief. So I say unto you, as you make your runs around the sun, eschew the desire to age gracefully. Do not go gentle into that good night. Instead, I encourage you to age playfully. Written by Mackenzie Clench in 1971. Age playfully. Eric Erickson, who was a developmental psychologist and looked at the stages of human life uh, back in the 1950s, uh, wrote about the, the stage of life called generativity. He said, the first five years of our life, it, growing up in young childhood, we're generative. we do not, not uh, constrained by what other people think of us. So you watch children make up stories. They sing songs. You, they act out mimes. It just comes naturally as they play and their lives unravel. There's no self consciousness. Then they go to school and they worry about standing in line, raising their hands, sitting sitting in a desk, not making a ruckus. And we live like that until we're age 70. And then generativity comes back. At, after age 70, you're no longer constrained by the conventions or the approval of others. You go to the grocery store in your slippers, Oh, what the hell, no one's paying attention. You don't care actually what you look like if your hair is a mess or your tie is not on straight. You don't worry about a spill. In fact, you wear gray and black most of the time so the spill is covered up. Generativity, there's a freedom of spirit, a willingness to share your story, your life experiences if anyone is willing to listen. I have a very good friend of mine, Mr. Larry Long, who Studs Terkel called America's Troubadour. He has traveled the highways and byways of this great country, writing us songs and telling stories about ordinary, hard-working Americans whose work, love, and service bless our lives daily. Farmers, merchants, cowboys, waitresses, bartenders, truck drivers, meat packers, migrant workers, artists, soldiers, all above and more – He understands that everyone has a story to tell. Everyone can tell us how they have lived their one wild and precious life, how each of us can learn from the experiences of others. He writes a marvelous story about Clark McGinnis. He writes, I met Clark McGinnis on the Nebraska Plains while working on a combine crew for three months from Burkett, Texas, to Scranton, North Dakota. We called ourselves Wheat Whackers, and what we did is cut wheat, cut wheat, cut wheat, and then cut more wheat. The wheat in the field stood ten feet high. The tassels waved gold in the streams of currents from the prairie winds. After the combines came through, there was nothing left of them but barren stubbles close to the ground. We traveled with three massey Ferguson's combines that were loaded on trailers behind trucks that hauled the wheat from the fields to small town elevators. In our crew, we had the owner of the combines whom we called the Straw Boss, his wife, the cook, along with their son, two aging itinerants, and myself. Their son, two itinerant workers, and I slept in a small trailer. The Straw Boss and his wife had a trailer of their own. Clark McGinnis was a poet of The Working Man. He loved the prairie, and the prairie loved him. He wore bib overhauls, but a reddish face of leather, hands that could bend iron, and a heart that wept with each verse he recited from his prose and poetry. If you saw him on the street, you wouldn't expect to hear such emotion coming from a man with such a large build, but he did it one tear at a time. Clark's Irish ancestors were headed west, but quit for some reason before they got to the Rocky Mountains. Something told them to lay down their stakes, and homestead this prairie land where the buffalo once flourished, where the oligala aquifer was once full, and the remnants of the English culture was left behind on the east side of the Mississippi River. So Larry traveled across this country, and he met all kinds of people like Quick McGinnis, and he really believed that our children need to learn from their elders in their communities in their families and hometowns and so he developed the process called elders wisdom children's song which is recognized by the Smithsonian Institute as an original American folk art and here's what he does he goes in the schools and the schools select three elders from their community the elders are people who people look up to as wise, people who have lived a good life, people who have instructions for the next generation. The elders come into a classroom, 4th, 5th, or 6th graders, and they tell their life stories, what it was like growing up on the prairie. What was it like having grown up on farms in the South? What was it like having grown up on a reservation? They tell their stories of how they survived. They tell their stories of resilience and courage, of loss, heartbreak, but hope. And each child after the story walks up to the elder and asks, Mr. or Mrs., may I ask you a question? Larry literally understands that we need to help our children respect our elders, and each child asks a question, and then the elder smiles and says, yes, I will answer your question. And everyone writes down then what the elder responds. They write down the elder's stories. They take their words verbatim. After the elder have left the room, the children sit down and begin to write songs using the elder's words and stories and images Two weeks later, after the storytelling and songwriting has taken place, the children have rehearsed it. They are able then to sing back to the elders their life stories. So the whole community comes. People bring their families. They bring their church. They bring their coworkers. And children on stage sing back and honor our elders for what they have learned. Children's wisdom, elders' wisdom, children's song. How important that is in communities for us to begin to recognize that both children and elders need each other. Pope Francis recently has written about we need a revolution of tenderness where the old and the young can talk with each other again. Pope Francis says the elders carry wisdom and wisdom has hope and our young people need the hope of generations. Larry was one time asked, well then who is an elder and he gave this wonderful response, an elder is someone who doesn't whine. <laughs> an elder is someone who doesn't whine. There's a there's a soulful maturity in that. How many of us look back at our elders and said, well you know my dad or my grandma they never complained. You look at the lives that they led without very much medical care. You realize that they had very few physical things, but they didn't whine nor did they complain. What happens with an elder, they double down on living their life to the fullest, making each day count, recognizing that each and every day is a gift an opportunity to do some good. Elders focus on what matters most. By looking back over their life, they are able to discern what is rot right and what is not, what needs to be held on to, what needs to be let go of, what needs to be handed on to the next generation. And that's not only for oneself, but it's for those who will come after us. So we think about ourselves today and the work that we're doing. What are we doing to make sure that the next generation has clean water and good land and enough to eat? What are we doing to ensure that our our children and our ancestors grow up in peace, that they're able to live with each other in a sense of harmony and collaboration? The word old comes from the Anglo-Saxon word ailed. It has nothing to do with being young. Old it means to be enlarged, enriched, matured. It's the ailed in that word, and it has to do with our souls. When someone dies at age thirty, we say, "Oh, how terrible! They have so much more to live." Well, they do, but at age thirty, we're already physically mature. So it's not about physical development from there on. When we say that they had so much more to live, is that their soul had not. A, adapted to its character, had not grown old and rich and matured as we had hoped. We use that term when we talk about an old house or an old sweater or an old friend. These are those things and persons that enrich and enlarge and expand our lives. Last weekend, my wife and I, both of us over the age of 70 now, had an opportunity to spend time with our granddaughters age five and seven. We took them out for lunch, which they thoroughly enjoyed because at the end of the lunch there was custard ice cream. And we started talking with them and listening to them, to their concerns and the excitement of Halloween coming up and that we'll see them again at Thanksgiving. And then we reminded them that we have always loved them and we always will. And someday when we're in heaven, we will be looking down on them with great love, that they have our love for eternity. Nana and Papa will always love you. To which our very bright and insightful seven-year-old Ellie responded, Papa, how did we get on this subject? Well, as you get old, you start thinking about the future. You start thinking about a greater good, which we call heaven. We understand that relationships do not end by death, that relationships enter into eternity. All of us are still in relationship with our grandparents, with all those who have gone before us, all those whose sacrifices, who continue to make our lives possible. Elders have the wisdom of knowing what is good, and good smothers fear. That's why it's important for the old to be in contact with the young, to tell them to not be afraid, that there are things that are going to happen in their lifetime that they cannot predict, but to help them to understand that they are loved and supported, cared for, and nurtured, that we have prepared a way for them. How important and significant this is at this time. And I think about the elders in my own life who have prepared me for a life of becoming old. My grandfather. Arthur Thibodeau. In my office, I have his first communion certificate dated 1897 from Coleman, Wisconsin. My grandpa raised beef and children on rocky soil in northern Wisconsin. In 1929, his wife, my grandma, gave birth to their youngest son. My grandma's pregnancy was difficult. She knew it was difficult. So she had arranged for her brother in New York State to adopt her son if anything would happen to her. Well, she died in childbirth, leaving my grandpa with a baby and four other children, raising beef on rocky soil as a beef farmer in northern Wisconsin, and his son was adopted by his brother-in-law. His wife knew that he couldn't take care of beef on rocky soil and a baby, so her brother adopted his infant son. In one week in 1929, my grandpa lost his wife and his baby son. In the 1930s, my grandpa, like everyone else who's listening to this, their grandparents stood in line for a pound of flour and a pound of sugar during the Great Depression. They had what was called ration stamps. And how were they rewarded at the end of the Great Depression? His oldest three sons were sent off to World War II, not to all return until 1945. Do I have the life that I have today without the sacrifice of that good man? Do I have the life I have today without his willingness to stand in line for food for his family and to raise beef that was sold to the U.S. government for our soldiers in World War II? And if I'd meet my grandpa today, he'd look at me and say, you mean to tell me that you had hot water all winter? Isn't it extraordinary? They never knew How deprived we would consider them to be today. But they persevered. They taught us about resilience and courage. They taught us about moral purpose. I think of my grandmother Florence. In 1937, my grandpa was hit and killed by a trolley car in Milwaukee, leaving my grandmother with five children under the age of 11 in the midst of the Great Depression. She had a beauty shop, and her apartment was above the beauty shop, and so she'd get up in the morning, feed the older four, give them to the care of the 11-year-old, take her baby down to her shop and begin cutting hair. At noon, at at 10 o'clock, she'd stop and she'd nurse her baby and then had a friend who had given birth to twins was not a able to nurse her own children. So the father brought the twins down. My grandma nursed three babies at 10, at noon, at 3 and 5, and then went upstairs and took care of all five of her own children. We're talking a strong woman here, a woman whose grace and dignity blessed our lives forever. She was always a fine businesswoman, but a loving human being in the last month of her life. She had brain cancer, probably from all the permanence that she had given over the years, and one of her eyes had had fallen shut. And I said, Grandma, how are you? Oh, she said, I'm good. She said, I still have one good eye, so I can read my prayer book. Hemingway says, Courage is grace under pressure. My grandma was a woman of courage. And finally, an elder who shaped my life is... My mentor here at a terrible university, Sister Lorian Peterick. Sister Lorian Peterick was the smartest person that I ever met. She came to the convent at age sixteen. She came in the midst of the Second World War, in which schools went to school all year round, so that people could graduate by the time they were sixteen, because then they were off to Normandy. Isn't extraordinary, most of the soldiers that we remember now from World War II were 16, 17, 18 years of age. Our grandparents, that generation of people at a very early age, did what they needed to do to save democracy for us. I sometimes ask myself, what is my generation willing to do? Are we willing to make that same level of commitment that is a legacy of those who have gone before us, those elders? Sister Lorian got her bachelor's degree in chemistry was later sent on to get her master's degree in English literature, and then finally went on to study her doctorate in philosophy. She went to an all-male school where they had appointed a dean of woman. She studied philosophy off of parchments written in the 15th century on sheepskin. She was brilliant. She had a mnemonic memory, and so she was able to read 10 books a week and always said to her students, if you want an A in my class, please teach me something I didn't know. It was very difficult to get an A in her class because she read so much, she knew so much, and yet she was gentle and wise and thoughtful. I had the ability to team-teach with her for 25 years teaching teachers, and in every conversation every year, I took notes. I got books full of notes from Sister and Peterek, and in the last year of our teaching together, I said, Lorian, this is all new information. I don't believe you've told me these things before. And she looked at me with a wry little smile, and she said, I want you to have them. I don't know how much longer I will be with you. She died that March. We never had a chance to teach again, but I still have those notes. See, Sister Lorian understood how important it is to age playfully, to take what has been given to her as gift and share it generously for the next generation. To quote our poem again, And so I say unto you, as you make your runs around the sun, eschew the desire to age gracefully. Do not go gentle into that good night. Instead, I urge you to age playfully. Embrace being old. Honor your elders. Make sure that the young people in your lives get a chance to talk about eternity those things that at some point in the future, they may experience, help them to understand that good smothers fear, that hope is our gift. Our thanks to Tom Thibodeau for today's message. Tom, a distinguished professor of servant leadership at Viterbo University. And for archived podcasts and more on-demand programs, and for more on the professional development for today's dairy producer, Head to PDPW's free website at pdpw.org.